this is going to be another episode that isn't about the paranormal, unfortunately. <laughs> and I know I'm going to have so many episodes about the paranormal. This one in particular is going to be about Bram Stoker's Dracula. My very close friend passed recently, and I've been thinking about them a lot. And this was one of their favorite movies, along with mine. And I watched it the other night and started looking up different facts about this specific movie and found out so many juicy details. I figured this would make a great video or it would make a great podcast. So I'm going to do both. Let's talk about Bram Stoker's Dracula, because it's one of the greatest movies of all time, in my opinion. And if you haven't seen it, you need to go see it. It's absolutely worth it. Um, I think it's on YouTube for free. I'm not sure any streaming platforms are currently showing it unless you rent it, so you have to pay. You know, I had a thought the other day, the amount of money that I'm spending just to rewatch films, because I'm one of those people who rewatch the same things over and over again. It's kind of a comfort thing for me. I think it would save me a lot of money to buy a DVD player and start buying the DVDs of my favorite things. Without further ado, here are some cool things I learned about Bram Stoker's Dracula. So work began on this movie in the 70s. James V. Hart found himself reading Stoker's novel for the first time, and it was during a time when Anne Rice's novel Interview with a Vampire had come out, and that sparked a lot of interest in vampires in pop culture. Um, we've seen this cyclical interest happen maybe every 10 years, and I think we're starting to head back into another one of those where people are becoming obsessed with vampires again, which makes me very happy because I fell in love with vampires when I was like eight or nine when I picked up a book that was very not age appropriate for me at the time called A Subtle Kiss. I don't know if you've heard of it. That's going to be, um, <laughs> it's a romance question mark novel about a human and a vampire. That book shouldn't have been read by an eight or nine year old, but here we are. So during this time when pop culture was becoming very obsessed with vampires, James V. Hart found himself reading Bram Stoker's novel, Dracula, for the first time. He was quoted saying that he was blown away by that version of Dracula. He ended up spending most of the 80s working on his script. Once James Hart finished his script, he began looking for different studios to help him create his vision and unfortunately couldn't find any big studios except for one that was more of a made-for-TV type situation. Oh my god, they would have butchered it if it became a made-for-TV movie. I can't even imagine. So they gave him this six-month grace period where he could find a bigger studio. And at the very last moment, Winona ended up like basically saving it. She found it because she was looking for more mature roles. I think she had just finished with Edward Scissorhands. Um... Don't quote me on that, though. According to James Hart in 1992, he said that she read his screenplay when she was 19 and was actively looking for a transition role, something where she would play a grown-up woman, and the role of Mina was exactly what she was looking for. Thank you, Winona, for saving this script, because, oh, 
So with Winona behind production, the script found its way to Francis Coppola in a very interesting way. According to Entertainment Weekly, Winona writer's concern over the impression she'd made with Coppola was so prevalent around Hollywood that the director finally agreed to meet with her just to reassure her that he didn't hold any grudges over her Godfather departure. So she was casted for, um, I think it was Godfather 3, and fell ill and ended up backing out last minute and Coppola's daughter ended up taking that role. And that led to them meeting and the script of Dracula ending up in Coppola's hands. It turns out that Coppola had been a fan since childhood of Dracula and became hooked. So production starts and it's said that Coppola wanted all of the sets to be very sparse. Coppola really wanted it to be um, practical and using as little CGI and modern effects as possible. Almost every special effect on this movie was done with old school movie effects like forced perspective, puppets, miniatures, reverse photography, stuff like that. He pushed for it so much that he ended up firing a massive chunk of the production team. And in doing so, he ended up hiring his son, who was the one behind most of these practical effects that we see on the movie today. He was really worried about going over budget because I guess that was a thing for him then. So every visual effect was done in camera and there's only one modern visual effect shot in the entire film. And that's when Dracula transforms from his old crusty self into the younger version of him that we see. Coppola's son, named his name was Roman, made almost every visual effect in Bram Stoker's Dracula. And it was done in camera on the day. Like we were saying about the reverse photography and stuff like that. A good example of that is when Lucy's threatened with the crucifix and she slowly goes back into the coffin and her eyes shut. It's a really good scene, but that's the reverse photography that I'm talking about. Um, another example is the double exposure, like the green mist floating through Mina's window. Another example is like that pan out of Lucy's house. Um, Lucy's house was actually a miniature in that scene. I don't know if it's because I grew up with movies like that, but they're far more believable than CGI. I'm trying to imagine what this film would have been like had they used modern special effects or CGI. Because if you look back at any film that came out during that era, it's so bad. I'm so thankful that that is not the road that they took. Um, thank you, Francis Coppola, for pushing for practical effects. I was also reading that they consulted magicians to make sure that these scenes with Dracula really were defying the laws of physics. Like, let me think of some scenes. Rats that are climbing on the ceiling, there's water dripping upside down. And one of my favorite examples of this is where Dracula leaves the room and his shadow is seen like running behind him to catch up. He had already shut the door and the shadow's like, oh, it's really cute. Costume design on this film is legendary. He brought in this art director, Iko Ishioka, to help bring his vision to reality. Coppola was quoted saying that his philosophy is the costumes are the sets. So I find it super fascinating that Ishioka had never seen a Dracula movie prior to this, but she fucking hit it out of the park. So Ishioka pulled a lot of inspiration from the natural world, like insects and artists like Gustav Klimt. Like, Lucy's dress was centered on snakes and, um, you know, the straight jacket and its really long arms kind of looked like a bug. I loved learning about that. Um, behind the scenes stuff is always my favorite and costumes especially. 
For the incredible work that Ishioka did, she ended up winning the Academy Award for Costume Design in 1993. There were rumors during production, I think probably because of how many people were fired, people were just talking. That production was getting too weird. Like people were vomiting in the aisles and stuff, which wasn't true. So because of this, they ended up having a nickname, which was Bonfire of the Vampires for the press, because it was just getting out of hand. I could totally see that happening, where... (laughs) the media was saying that people were vomiting in the aisles (laughs) that's so wild to me um but also i'm not surprised anyways jonathan harker was almost played by johnny depp but columbia pictures said no and their reasoning was because he wasn't a big enough well-known star (laughs) it was because winona at the time was dating him they had just done uh scissor hands together which was another really fantastic movie if you haven't seen it. Winona ended up having Keanu Reeves. I keep looking in this direction because I hate seeing myself on that little screen. What the hell? It feels so awkward to me to talk into the camera, so I apologize for not looking at you. So Winona's friend Keanu Reeves ended up taking Jonathan Harker's part because they were friends at the time, and it worked out because I liked Keanu in this movie. But most people didn't like Keanu in this movie. They made fun of his accent. Keanu ended up explaining that he was just very tired because he was doing too many films all at once. I don't think he did that bad. In my eyes, he wasn't supposed to be the most likable character anyways. Wasn't he supposed to be boring? So having a boring performance seems perfect. Dracula is the only one I'm here for. Jonathan Harker, whatever. Dracula, yes. Uh, (laughs) So Gary Oldman never wanted to play Dracula. It wasn't on his bucket list. But when he was presented with the chance to work with the legendary director Francis Ford Coppola, he said yes. And what really solidified it for him was one particular line that we all know and love. The one where he says, I have crossed oceans of time to find It's like, that's the one that sold me too. It sold a lot of us. And if it didn't sell you on it, um, you have a heart of stone if that doesn't do anything to you. I don't even think Gary Oldman's hot. I'm sorry, Gary. I doubt Gary would ever watch this, but just in case, Gary Oldman, I'm sorry. (laughs) I was in it for Winona, but... um. So, Gary Oldman, let's talk more about Gary Oldman and his obsession with his role in this. So much so that when it was all over, Winona said that she never met Gary Oldman. She's been quoted saying that because he was in character the entire time. There are some things that he did on set to prove this, like hiring a voice coach to help him bring his voice down an extra octave, which he did accomplish just to sound creepier and more Dracula-like. Gary was also super into the makeup aspect of this and creating characters with Canem. Canem, the makeup director, recalled on a commentary for the film that the original script called for little more than various stages of old age makeup for Dracula himself. And when Canem and Oldman started talking, the actor and the artist dreamed up the wolf in face. Over the course of production, Gary Ullman ended up having an allergic reaction because of all this latex applications. Turns out he's allergic to it. He had a really bad reaction and was rushed to the hospital. And I think that experience led to another fun and interesting little factoid. In one of his scenes, when he was in the full body bat, 
had a fit of claustrophobia, as it's been said, and Canem had to help rip him out of it. And I think about that sometimes with these full body costumes because I don't think I'd be able to be in something like that for that amount of time. That's a lot of makeup and I imagine you can't breathe well out of it and it's heavy. Like, he couldn't take it anymore and it was ripped off of his body. (laughs) Ripped off of his body. Another cool little tidbut. I hate my brain sometimes. I'm so dyslexic. Another tidbit that's really cool. Gary Ullman was also gifted a coffin from Coppola. And it's been said that he slept in it every single night to get into character. That's how serious he was about this role as Dracula. He slept in it. And then later, he ended up going on a talk show with Conan O'Brien and was quoted saying that Coppola wanted him to have sex in it. Oldman did not confirm or deny, but he went on to tell a story about having a house party and some lady guests came in where he showed them the coffin and they excused themselves and he didn't see them again. So it's possible somebody had sex in it. I don't know. (laughs) Either way, that shit is so right up my alley. So Canem and his team ultimately won an Academy Award for makeup design. I mean, the amount of awards that came out of the artistic direction of this film is so well-deserved. I'm obsessed with it. Even though it came out a while ago, I think it's beyond trends. It's honestly legendary. So on that same commentary track for the film, Coppola said that he found Van Helsing's character to be a real jerk who would just talk and talk and talk and not say anything. (laughs) So he encouraged Anthony Hopkins to improvise a lot of Van Helsing's behavior, Um, we can see this in that scene where he's smelling or sniffing Mina. The light of all light. Kunas, your friend. That was improvised and he said he was, it's because he was sniffing for Dracula's scent, which is, I mean, it's Anthony Hopkins, of course. Of course he's like... All up in her business, Anthony Hopkins sniffing me like that would send me over the edge. Like, that would be it. Actually, you know what? I'd probably like it. Let's let's continue. Coppola was very aware that Bram Stoker's Dracula was an erotic nightmare, but he was actually super uncomfortable with the sexual nature of the script and was quoted saying, I don't feel comfortable talking about a lot of sexual stuff to young girls. And he ended up hiring an acting coach to help with those specific scenes. A good example of this is that scene with Keanu Reeves and the Three Brides. Um, They are topless in the film. But as it turns out, when time came for them to take their tops off in the film, everyone in the crew, including the director, couldn't find it in themselves to ask them to take their tops off because they were all too embarrassed. It ended up being a stagehand, and um, they ended up doing it willingly because they knew that was coming. But I find it super fascinating that the whole crew was like, "Not, I'm not doing it. You do it. No, no, you. Could you imagine Coppola being like, I'm not doing it. You do it. There's a couple Easter eggs in this movie, too, like when they're eating and Mina is recalling Dracula's land. A land beyond a great vast forest. And the literal translation to the word Transylvania is land beyond the forest, which is another really cool little fact about this movie. If you can hear my dog snoring in the background, uh, she's a pug and she's out. So I apologize. 
<laughs> Those sounds belong to her. Her name's Gertie. I love her so much. So yeah, back on track. That scene where Winona's character, Mina, and Jonathan Keanu Reeves' character are getting married, they got married in an actual Orthodox church with an actual priest. So it's been said that in the eyes of God, they really are married. And they have been seen joking about that in interviews later on about how they're still married, which I think is super cute. There's this scene which Van Helsing with the fellow vampire hunters where they walk in on Dracula and Mina to find that Dracula has turned into a giant bat creature. Coppola blindfolded the actors and had Oldman walk around them, whispering in their ears to terrify them before seen. I gotta shut my mouth on that because that that seems erotic to me. What in the fan fiction, like, I think that's a great technique. And if anybody wants to use it on me, let me know. <laughs> it said that Oldman's technique worked, but it also created a lot of tension. Like I said earlier, Winona would later say that she felt like she never met Gary Oldman on the set because he was so invested in his character. So towards the completion of this movie, George Lucas had a hand in changing the end of Bram Stoker's Dracula because he had pointed out to Coppola in one of the viewings that he had broken his own rules when it comes to killing Dracula. In the original ending, Mina shoves a knife into Dracula's heart and then leaves his body and returns to her husband. And Lucas pointed out that Coppola broke his own film rules by not cutting off Dracula's head. And that is what led to them reshooting that scene and then re-editing it to what it is today. So they reshot the ending, which is what you see in the final version of the film today. The first trailer for Bram Stoker's Dracula was a teaser that showed the film's title being formed in a pool of blood on a jagged surface accompanied with flashes of scenes from the movie. But it was deemed too graphic to be shown to general audiences they would have ended up giving it an NC-17 rating. And that apparently is like the death of a movie when it comes to the box office. So they had to tone it down quite a bit when it comes to the gore and the sexual scenes. And let me tell you, I would cut off my left pinky in order to be able to see the NC-17 version of Francis Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula. I can't. And learning this knowledge, I will forever think about that. And if anybody knows where I can see the N17 version of this, please put it in the comments. Let me know. Francis Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula ultimately grossed more than $30 million on its opening weekend. It was on its way to $82 million in North America and a worldwide total gross of $216 million, which was a runaway hit by 1992 standards. This movie was a fucking hit. And it still is today. And if you haven't watched it, go watch it. <laughs> and if you can find the NC-17 version of it, call me. Email me. Let me know. Somebody who loves me, please make it happen. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in and learning all these cool facts with me. Sources for this podcast and this video include mentalfloss.com, 80skids.com, a variety of entertainment weekly interviews, and Wikipedia. Have a fantastic week ahead, and remember to keep it creepy.